Amen. Amen. Troy and Jason and Doug and Jen, thank you for sharing your gifts with us. Good morning, everyone. Well, we're in a series called Knowing Jesus Through the Old Testament. Why would we even do something like that? It is because the Old Testament scriptures are the scriptures that Jesus himself was raised on. As a boy, these are the scriptures that Jesus read. These are the stories that Jesus knew as he sorted out what priorities in life should be. These This Old Testament contains the prayers that Jesus prayed. The Old Testament describes to us the coming Messiah. They told Jesus who he was and why he had come. And whenever you hear Jesus say, uh, you have read it in the scriptures. Or whenever you hear Jesus say, I have come to fulfill what was written. He's talking about the Old Testament. Those are the only scriptures that existed in Jesus' day. So last week and this week, we're looking at the values of Jesus. Now here at the end of the series, I conveniently realized I I should have made the title, The Priorities of Jesus. That's really what we've been talking about. And we've been finding that these priorities were, were not invented by Jesus. Rather, they were part of God's intention from the very beginning, now revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And today, two and very important priorities are going to come to life as we open the Word of God together. We're going to begin, actually, in the New Testament, in a a famous story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. So the stage is set with these two characters. One named Lazarus, a poor man covered in nothing but sores, which dogs, which in the Old Testament were an unclean animal, would come and lick. And then this other person known only as the rich man. Verse 22. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also, uh, that's the father of all the Jewish race. The rich man was also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. Nothing can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. So the rich man goes into a fiery anguish, and Lazarus is comforted in the arms of his ancestor Abraham. And the rich man begs for just a drop of water, but no one can help him. What? Did the rich man do to deserve this? Did the rich man murder Lazarus? No. Did he steal from Lazarus's 401k to make him poor? No. Did he stick Lazarus with a huge medical bill for those sores? No. He just did nothing. He ignored Lazarus, and for that, He is condemned, and there's now nothing he can do to get out of it. He can't even get a drop of water. 
Now these days, when you can't even watch a football game without it turning into something political, when you can't even tune into the Oscars to see who won Best Picture without being bombarded all night by drunken political hand grenades, it's not hard to read a passage like this and, you know, go there. If the rich man and Lazarus were made into a Hollywood movie, many of us would be screaming, liberal bias. But this is not politics. This is the word of God. This is a story from the lips of Jesus the Messiah. And it proclaims a priority, a value, that when money and property conflict with the life of a person, that people matter more than things. This is not politics. This is God's self-revelation of who he is. And who he is is someone who values people more than things. So if you and I value people more than things, then we are walking with God. And if we don't value people more than things, we're walking farther from God. And at some point, a great chasm, a great uncrossable chasm may open, us, open up between us and God. There's a second value uncovered in this story. And that is that when the rights of one man conflict with the needs of another, that needs matter more than rights. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'll bet that the rich man worked hard. I'll bet that the rich man went to school and did well. I bet he made a series of wise decisions along the way. The first verse said, Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. I'll bet he worked hard for that stuff. And it was his right to have those things. And he did not, by rights, have to do anything about this guy Lazarus out there suffering at his doorstep. Except perhaps that God says that needs matter more than rights. People matter more than things and needs matter more than rights. These are values that Jesus teaches in many, many stories. But Jesus also says that these are the values of God and that they have always been the values and priorities of God. Listen how this story wraps up. Verse 27. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. According to Jesus, Moses and the prophets, that's the entire Old Testament, already said all of this. Did it really? Was people before things and needs before rights really an Old Testament value? I'm going to say yes this morning, but I know this is Missouri, so you're going to want me to show you. So I found many examples of this, and, uh, and then I cut the sermon down from its original one-hour length, and now I'm only going to share two. You're welcome. So what can I say except... Okay, so uh, get ready for the musical. Okay, Old Testament values. People versus things, uh, people more than things, needs more than rights, was part of the Old Testament. Exhibit A, slavery. They had slavery in the Old Testament. Slavery is one of the oldest sins of humanity. And what does the Old Testament have to say about it? Deuteronomy chapter 23, 
Slaves who have escaped to you from their owners shall not be given back to them. They shall reside with you in your midst, in any place they choose, in any one of your towns, wherever they please. You shall not oppress them. Okay, hold the boat. Because harboring runaway slaves has been illegal on every nation on earth. It was illegal here in America until the mid-1800s. It was illegal in the Middle East where this story comes from until the 1980s. And yet here we find the word of God chipping away at the foundations of slavery a thousand years before Jesus. Exodus 21. When a slave owner strikes the eye of a male or female slave, destroying it, the owner shall let the slave go, a free person compensate for the eye. If the owner knocks out a tooth of a male or female slave, the slave shall be let go, a free person, to compensate for the tooth. Slaves were property in the ancient world and the modern world. If I preached these verses in a church 150 years ago, you would all be leaving and firing me by the end of the afternoon. It was your right to beat and abuse your slaves. They called it discipline for disobedience, but it was beating and it was abuse. But here we have the word of God saying, well, if you injured them, they go free. A thousand years before Jesus. Deuteronomy chapter 15, because people more than things, needs before rights. Deuteronomy chapter 15. If a member of your community, whether a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and works for you for six years, in the seventh year, you shall set that person free. And when you send a male slave out from you, a free person, you shall not send him out empty-handed. Provide liberally out of your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press, thus giving him some of the bounty which, which, with which the Lord your God has blessed you. So you cannot permanently enslave members of your own tribe. And when you sent them out a free person, you couldn't send them out empty-handed. You had to give them a little of everything you had to get them started on life well. Now, let's stop and ask the question for a moment. Why is the word of God chipping away at slavery like this instead of just abolishing it altogether? Someone must be asking this question. Why isn't the word of God just abolishing slavery altogether instead of, uh, instead of chipping away its foundations like this? And the true answer to that question is uh, that I don't know. But I do have a guess. And I feel good enough about my guess that I want to share it with you this morning. The reason why I believe that God did not abolish slavery but chipped away at it instead is because it would not have worked. The Bible outlawed murder, and murder always has been and remains today common. The Bible outlawed adultery, and yet one in four marriages, even today, will still suffer adultery before it's all over. So outlawing something doesn't fix it. It's important to outlaw things because it tells us what God values. In this case, God values life and God values faithfulness. But outlawing a practice doesn't fix it. For slavery then, God chooses to limit it. He chooses to change our perception of it. He chooses to chip away at its foundations. And though it annoys us that God didn't just outlaw slavery, what God did instead actually worked. Because I want to ask you today, what is more common? Murder, adultery, or slavery? Because in the time of Jesus, two-thirds of people in the Roman Empire were slaves. So slavery was more common than adultery or murder. But, but what is the case now? 
And who in history has been the primary opponents of slavery? Christians, if you know history at all, that should take you one second to answer that question. Uh, There is no other answer. Read any document about the abolition of slavery written in any century that you like, and 90% of the time that document will be written by a Christian. Even in the last century, who fought the battle here and around the world against child labor? Christians. Who is at the front line of the battle today against human trafficking and sexual slavery? Christians. In Islamic countries, they keep having to re-outlaw slavery. First time, 1961. Second time, 1969. Third time, 1980. 2007. As recent as 2014, they have had to re-outlaw slavery in North Africa because people in those cultures consider it their right to own slaves, and so slavery keeps reappearing. But somehow, slavery is most rare in countries with a Christian or a Jewish majority where these scriptures have chipped away at its foundations and the values of religious people have attacked it until it has crumbled almost to nothing. People before things, needs before rights was an Old Testament value. But I have another one, Exhibit B. Debt protection. So I don't know if any of you have ever sought the protection of a bankruptcy court, but that protection was born in the mind of God. Now, until reading the Old Testament, and actually until quite recently, bankruptcy laws have always bothered me. Because in my mind, if you owe money and you can't repay it or don't repay it, in my mind, I thought, well, you have no right to do anything other than repay it. Repay what you owe. And if they have to liquidate everything you have to do it, then so be it. Tough luck because you borrowed the money and then didn't repay it. And why should the other person be out? while you have, you know, all these possessions. That's what, that's what I thought. But then as I read the word of God, I found the word of God disagreed with my attitude about these things. Uh, For Deuteronomy had words about this. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 6 said, it's wrong to take a set of millstones, like, you know, from a mill, or even just the upper millstone as a security for a loan, for the owner uses it to make a living. People before things and needs before rights. You can't take away someone's living just because they owe you money. Why not? Because God's priorities say you can't, and that's the only why not that's offered. In fact, not only can you not take their livelihood, you can't even take their dignity during the collection process. Skip down to verse 10. If you lend anything to your neighbor, do not enter his house to pick up the item he's given as security. You must wait outside while he goes in and brings it out to you. If your neighbor is poor and gives you his cloak as a security for a loan, do not keep the cloak overnight. Return the cloak to its owner by sunset so he can stay warm through the night and bless you. And the Lord your God will count you as righteous. Never take advantage of of poor and destitute laborers, whether they are fellow Israelites or foreigners living in your towns. People before things and needs before rights. Whatever collateral they offer, they go into their own house and bring it out to you. You can't just tear in there and take it. They owe you money, yes, but they're still a person and they still get to provide for their family and they still get to stay warm at night. And there's this little tiny verse in Leviticus where God explains why he's running the world with these priorities. Leviticus 25, verse 23. 
You are only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. I see. God rules the world and we are his tenant farmers. And the ruler of the world says that his farm will be run with these values. People before things, needs before rights. So Jesus is not overturning Old Testament values and priorities. He's revealing the values and the priorities of God that have always been there. Now again, in this world where you can't watch a kid's TV show without you know, feeling the political messages and the subtext coming through to you, you can't go on YouTube and watch a cute video of a cat flushing a toilet without scrolling down to the comments section and finding all sorts of nasty political arguments. How did we get into political arguments after watching a cat flush the toilet? I don't know, but every YouTube video includes it. So someone in this environment where everything's political is then going to ask the question, does this mean that Jesus is a conservative Republican or a liberal Democrat? So I I took this out of the message on Wednesday and then I thought, well, you can take it out if you want. Someone's still going to ask the question, so I put it back in. Everyone, I uh, I have given up on this question completely. Now, I was super conservative for a good part of my adult life. I also logged a good five years making a hard slide to the left. But for the last several years, I have gotten fed up and disillusioned and very suspicious of both of these worldviews, and they are worldviews. And I just want to tell you that I don't have a dog in this fight anymore. These days, I just want to know what God asks of me, and then I want to do that. And again and again, I find God saying, follow my son. So I don't serve donkeys, and I don't serve elephants. I serve the risen lamb. And I stole that from a pastor in St. Joe. I wish I made that up. (laughs) Now, this answer does not play very well in our polarized culture. In our culture, we're being lied to every morning, afternoon, and evening, being told here in America, there are only two types of people, liberals and conservatives. And so every time here at Lakeland Community, say, we say, well, we are neither. We are Christians. We follow the risen lamb. That answer kills us because our culture is demanding that we label some good guys and we label some bad guys and we pick a side. You line up with these and you work toward the destruction of those or you line up with those and you do everything you can to silence these. And that's where we are. But I can't do that. Because I don't see God as a liberal. He's too specific about sexuality and about faithfulness and about marriage. And he demands the worship of no other gods. And he speaks of human leaders in a way that doesn't encourage us to trust them with a whole lot of power. I also don't think Jesus would make a very good conservative Republican these days. Way, way too many laws on these books protecting the poor and immigrants and constantly these stories from Jesus talking about wealth as if it's a dangerous thing that quietly destroys the souls of those who wield it if they're not careful. I don't know how it works in other countries because I've only ever lived here. 
But when you follow Jesus in America, I do believe his voice tells us that that we're going to have to leave our previous loyalties at the door. I believe he says that he is the king of this other kingdom. Now, you're going to keep some of those values from that old worldview, but probably not more than half of them. I think Jesus is telling us my way is a whole new way. This whole other thing that leads to a kingdom of eternal life and abundant life. Truly liberty and justice for all. This may not be a popular message in our world right now. But uh, it does have one advantage that I see and enjoy every, every day. And the the only advantage of this message of following the risen lamb is that this is the message that has attracted all of you. The type of people who make up this type of congregation. People smart enough to know that there are not only two types of people. There are followers of Jesus who don't fit neatly into either of the political worldviews that are thrust upon us. And that's the only comfort I get from being caught in the middle is that I'm caught in the middle with all of you and I really love raising my family among all of you and being friends with all of you and it's a great privilege. So what we've got is what we've got and it's more than good enough for me. So I've got a question for all of you this morning. Then you who lean more to the conservative, you who lean more to the liberal, are you followers of Jesus first? Do you believe in the word of God? Do you value people more than things and needs more than rights? Now, how much government, how many laws do you need to make sure that those priorities are honored? Uh, That's something that uh, you'll have to debate. And I love a good debate just as well as the next person. But we need a family chat. And when I chat with my kids, I always sit down so I'm not storming around the room. I'm just asking us to debate this face-to-face as brothers and sisters. I'm asking for not to have any more social media rants. It's gotten out of hand, and it has hurt us as a church, and it has hurt us interpersonally, and it has hurt many of us personally. It's not what social media is for. Most of us go on social media to see pictures of our grandkids or, or to, to post pictures of, of what we ate for dinner or, or to, to count down the days to the release of Thor Ragnarok. I've heard some beautiful stories of, of folks who are homebound with illness and they get on social media and they find, you know, 50 people who have remembered them and offered them prayers. It's a beautiful thing that can happen. Um, it's the way I find out some of you are ill or that you're in the hospital or that you've been healed. It's a beautiful place to share those types of things. Deciding what we're going to do about immigrants and refugees and, and gay marriage, that all ought to be something that we talk about. That ought to be something that we talk about. You know, that belongs around the campfire when you're on men's retreat as brothers. On the, on the car ride to the prayer retreat, As brothers and sisters, that's where you should be talking about these things. Sitting on the deck while the kids run around and catch lightning bugs or rake up leaves and jump into them. And you talk about these important things as sisters in Christ. 
Write letters to your representatives. It's your right. Cast your vote. It's your right. That's really what gets it done. And, and let's not forget this. These people, uh, we don't owe them their loyalty. They owe their loyalty to us. They are public servants. They serve us. We don't get behind them. They represent our values, and we get to decide every four to six years if they have done that. Well, I mean, if not, then, you know, we help them move along to something else. But we don't owe them any loyalty. The church doesn't owe them loyalty. If, if they think they can get on without us and without our vote, then they can ignore the church. If they would like the church vote, then they need to demonstrate to us that they honor our values and priorities. We don't please them. We don't serve them. They serve us. That's what makes America, America. But can we, can we, can we please stop provoking and, and tormenting one another in, in a space that really isn't for that and really doesn't change any hearts? And, you know, somebody is going to get worked up. Crazy stuff's happening every day in our world. Somebody's going to get worked up and post a big rant, you know, probably today. We just want to say, could you, when you meet that person here in the lobby on Sunday or whatever, you know, wherever you meet them, just say, you know, hey, you know, in this community, we don't address issues like that that way. But, but now that we're here face to face, tell me more about this article you posted. You seem to have a lot of passion and a lot of energy about that. What, what, what are you thinking? What, let's talk now that we're here together as brothers and sisters. Trust the federal government or don't. I don't have a dog in that fight. I don't really care as long as we all agree with the word of God and that people come before things and needs come before rights. And please don't forget the hardest place to practice these values in our own living room. The political stuff is actually easy compared to valuing people before things and needs before rights in our own living room. Parents, there's something here for us. After you've worked all day and you're tired and you just want to come home and you just want to veg out and get on your phone and then here comes the kid. And the kid is chattering about all the school drama and all the strange characters. The same stories you just heard yesterday. They didn't make any more sense then than they do today. Or they built you this thing out of Legos. And thank God they told you what it was because you can't tell what it is. You have a right to rest. You have been at it all day long. They have a need for your attention. People before things. Needs before rights. Power down your device. Walk down to the street corner with them and buy them an ice cream and listen to the whole thing again. Even if you don't know a single word of what it means. And praise God that your kid still wants to talk to you. Teenagers, there's something here for you. Your parents give you chores and you do yours, but your brother does not do his. Now there's company coming over and the dishwasher needs unloading and your parents are, keep those elbows to yourself. And your, and your parents are, uh, uh, you know, running around like chickens with their head cut off and they tell you, hey, hey, ha- unload the dishwasher. Wait, that was his job. I shouldn't have to do that. You're right. You're right. But it needs to be done. The family's having guests over. They're coming in five minutes. People before things and needs before rights. Put down the lasso of truth, Wonder Woman, and unload the dishwasher. (laughs) And sort out the justice of that matter another time. Wives, there's something here for you. 
you're pretty tired. She works hard for the money. You'll, you'll be in your head all day. But your husband's got that look. Oh, you know, like that nine o'clock look. That, you, you know the look what I'm talking about, the look. Needs before rights. Don't make me pull out Bible verses about this. You know that we've got them. Husbands, there's something here for us. You've got rights in the marriage. You know where the scriptures are. You've never been brave enough to pull out one and read it, but somehow you know right where it is. But she is tired. And she does so much. And maybe what she needs tonight is a foot rub and someone to put those toddlers to bed by themselves with no further expectations. Needs before rights. Be a man of God tonight without pouting. Now, if this sort of war has been going on in your marriage for months and months or years and years, it, it, is, it is time to visit the counselor. And I have a great one who won't automatically take a side. They are for your marriage. And I can email me. I can share that contact with you. It can kind of save you from this endless conflict of needs versus rights. There is hope. Even if it's been going on for decades and you've lost all hope, there's hope for intimacy. One more story about the values of God in our own living room. Carl was driving to work one morning when he bumped fenders with another motorist. Both cars stopped, and the woman driving the other car got out to survey the damage. She was distraught. It was her fault, she admitted, and hers was a new car less than two days from the showroom. She dreaded facing her husband. Cole was sympathetic, but he had to pursue the exchange of license and registration. She reached into her glove compartment to retrieve the documents in an envelope. On the first piece of paper to tumble out, written in her husband's distinctive hand, were these words. In case of accident, remember, honey, it's you I love, not the car. People matter more than things, and needs matter more than rights. This is the word of God. Amen. Despite all our differences, Jesus invites us to a table. It is the table of communion. And don't miss the fact that this is where he laid down all of his rights, his right to a kingdom, his right to be worshipped, his right to be respected, his right to have the values of God honored in him. He laid it all aside. His right to not be accused falsely, his right to have a fair trial that wasn't happening in the middle of the night at someone's house. It's right to have his friends stay with him and not run away and hide. He gave up all of this for us. Because we had a need that we could not fix ourselves. Needs before rights. People before things. So he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. This cup is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. 
As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death until I eat and drink it with you in my Father's kingdom where all of these priorities will finally be placed into the right order forever and ever. Amen. So we invite you to come down and tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and receive the symbol of the values of God who valued us above everything. And then tells us, now go out and and value one another. This will be my kingdom. Let us pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us stand together and proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, hallelujah, the gifts of God for the people of God. Each day may Christ and his values and priorities be as real to us as this food and this drink. Come forward when you're ready. Amen. Let us stand together and recite this together. Remember that this is the foundation on which we are built on and nothing has chipped it away. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you have that in common, you have more in common with the people in this room than you do with anybody outside who does not share that with you. In that knowledge, let us go in peace. Amen.